Hello, I'm Matt Kane, Editor-in-Chief of Attitude, and welcome to our 10th instalment of Attitude Heroes, the only podcast that puts prominent British gay men in the spotlight for a whole hour. We've got a treat for you today as I'm joined by a very chatty Mark Armand. We talk about his music, his sexual awakening, the homophobia he's experienced, how he's dealt with it, and much, much more. It's a great listen. A quick reminder that Attitude Heroes is sponsored by the Great Britain Campaign, which welcomes the world to visit, do business, invest and study in the UK. You can check out their website at great.gov.uk. And our co-sponsors are Jaguar. If you'd like more information on their products, then you can visit the website jaguar.co.uk or look out for them in the latest issue of Attitude magazine. If, like me, you grew up watching Top of the Pops in the 80s, you probably still have memories of Mark Harmond dressed all in black and covered in bangles. His band Soft Cell had several top 10 hits with songs like Tainted Love, Bed Sitter and Say Hello, Wave Goodbye. Later, he reached number one duetting with Gene Pitney on Something's Gotten Hold of My Heart. And as a solo artist, he's released more than 20 albums, selling a total of over 30 million records worldwide. He's never left anyone in any doubt about his sexuality, and that sometimes made him a target for abuse, rumour and outright slut-shaming. When we met, he told me that prejudice was something he'd been dealing with for a very long time, even within his own family. Coming up, we'll hear what happened when his father marched into school with an angry order for his teacher. He marched in to see her one day, demanded to see her. My father says, I demand to know if my son is a homosexual. (gasps) And everything, drunk. And he'll tell me about some of the names that have been used against him. So Puff, queer was always said with a spit and always said with yeah. a sneer. So I, I can't adopt those words for myself. I, I'm glad other people have been able to, but I'm not able to adopt them for myself. And I don't like being called queer and I don't like being called a Puff. He'll also reveal how hard he finds it to say the word gay, at least with one family member. I've never ever once in my life with my mother said the G word. We met at his record company offices to celebrate the launch of his new album, Shadows and Reflections, which is out now and a brilliant listen. There are a few rude words in our conversation, but I'll admit most of them come from me. So, now that you've been suitably warned, let's meet Mark. Okay, Okay. Mark, thank you for having us. We're here in your record company's offices. Yeah, very glamorous. I mean, this is the first time I've been on a major label since sometime back in the 90s. I think the last major label I think was on uh, Mercury Universal. And finally, at my time of life, I'm back on a major label again after doing my own thing, what I wanted to do for the past few years. I'm kind of back owned, owned by a record company again. And you've got the new album, which is, I absolutely love it. Thank you. Um, but what's interesting is, it's kind of some of the tracks have quite sad names and it's all quite joyful and jolly. And I don't know if jolly is the right word, actually, well, but it's lovely and sweet and adorable. Well, it, it's kind of, I like the, the, but all the lyrics are really miserable. Yeah. So, 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 so basically, it, I, but that, that's the kind of pop I like. I like bittersweet pop stuff that's kind of, sounds happy and poppy on the outside. But when you listen to the, to, to the music, it's the, the, the lyrics are utterly kind of miserable. 
And I thought, well, I could do an album of standards, you know, the usual songs that everybody sings on those records of standards, or I could try and do a torch song album of, of great 60s orchestral pop. Well, it's interesting as well, if you think about uh, during a lot of your career, you've reworked other artists' songs and made them your own. What is it that you enjoy about that? Why do you keep coming back to that? Because some artists hardly ever do covers, do they? I just don't think I'm a good enough songwriter. Is is, is the similar to that? I mean, I think I think I, I can sometimes come up with a gem. I, sometimes I can I can write songs. I feel like I can. So I go through periods of sometimes I write good songs. Sometimes I write songs because I feel I have to. Sometimes I write songs, and I just can't get it together. But, uh, this album, I kind of, I, I, it's referring to songs that, that I listened to a lot when I was very very young, growing up. When I was when I was a kid. From 1963, I was about five years old, and my parents were quite young. And I watched all the pop shows on TV: Ready, Steady, Go, Thank You, Lucky Stars, The Usual Thing, Jukebox Jury. And my parents watched them, listened to the radio all the time. So all those songs were imprinted from songs of the 60s. So that's the kind of decade that I keep going back to. I remember it really well. I remember the songs really well. The artists I remember really well. So that's what I, the decade I keep coming back to. Um, and I just love these songs. I feel that a lot of these songs are quite darker love songs. They're, they're quite, they have a dark edge to them. And I, I like songs like that that have this dark sort of edge that I can kind of bring. They're not happy-go-lucky sort of songs. They, they can have a great orchestrations and pop sound, but they're real kind of angsty sort of gothic songs. But interestingly, actually, when you talk about how you discovered this music, it was, I almost said it was imposed on you by your parents, but it was their choice of music rather than yours. When you started choosing your own music, when you were a teenager, say, I always think that's a really crucial period yeah. of um, someone's life. And particularly gay men can be really attached to that music that they grow up with at that period in that period of their lives, and the, the music that you chose to listen to, am I right in thinking it was quite dif different from? Well, yeah, the stuff I mean, I, I, when I was first started, started buying records, it was the beginning, it was the late sixties, beginning of this very, very like nineteen seventy, and then the the period was, it was kind of blues rock, and I kind of liked all that at the time, and then that started to gradually sh shift and change, and you started to get more. The glam rock came in with things like the Bolands and the Bowie and Roxy Music. I remember reading about Roxy Music and New Musical Express before I'd even even heard them. Heard about this band called Roxy Music, and they just looked fantastic. You know, they had so much of it was Eno the look, wasn't it? And the design and the yeah. fairy with this cliff, and they wore all these kind of like amazing sort of like things. And yeah, so that kind of drew me away from kind of progressive rock and it re-educated me musically into kind of more simpler pop of glam rock and kind of almost three chord rock. Of, of, of pop music at that time. And when you first saw Mark Boland came on the television, it was in black and white TV, but it was like a world of colour. It, it, it was like something that you've not seen before. It was like something from another planet. It's hard to really describe that now. But interesting that you should say that. Do you think the fact that you maybe didn't want, you weren't so attached to this planet and the world you were living in, do you think that's partly why it appealed so much? Oh, yeah, it, it showed me like a doorway to another, there was another world out there that I didn't really know about. You were looking for I, another I, I, I was looking for, I was, I was living in, I was at school in Leeds at the time. You know, but it, but it, but it kind of showed me like, a world that was outside Leeds and it was full of androgyny and um, glitter and it was um, somebody wearing these kind of clothes that were sort of slightly androgynous. I mean, I think we all kind of knew in, in, our, in our heart at that time because I, I was always friends with the girls at school. We always kind of... Kept well, we're all the... darling. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. yeah, but I, I, I mean, I, I did have some, 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 some friends with girls because I mean, school was actually a kind of interesting time for me because... Yeah, I was bullied a bit at school to, at first. 
And I was real, when I started secondary school, it was a real fear that I was going to have my head stuck down the toilet and have the flush pulled and things like that and we're going to be totally kind of beaten up. And it was a bit like that at first. It was fearful. But then I kind of discovered school could be quite good because I kind of became a bit bad at school. I behaved really badly at school because I had learning difficulties at school. They were were my main fear. Um, So I I behaved really badly to cover that up. I made friends with the girls um, and... I like like people did at that time, you had imaginary girlfriends that no one ever saw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They lived in another town or lived there somewhere else, but they never saw. You know, nobody you can't had, do that now with Facebook and everything, but, can you? The gays don't have that No, luxury. they don't. But, a lot, but some of the boys at school tapped into the fact that you were gay or there was something, they were, and, they, and, they, and they tapped into the fact that they could experiment with you. Oh, my God. So I thought you were going to say that they had to go at you about it. But no, they, they didn't. It was, so, so school became quite, quite good. I, I, so I behaved kind of badly, so I, I got a boys on, on my side. I was friends with the girls. Who I went to, we went to T-Rex concerts and with, with the girls. But they, yet, yet I kind of, it was a great time for me because certain boys who were kind of curious at that time, I noticed we were all very, you know, we were probably, I was probably 13 or 14 at that time. And that's when I had my first boyfriends. Oh, my God. Um, in fact, I had my first boyfriend when I was 11, and I had my first boyfriend the, the same age as me. Boyfriend is the wrong thing to call it. But I, so, how was, did, so how did that boyfriendness express itself? Did you kiss? Did you hold Yeah, we hands? just kissed each other, yeah. We kissed each other, and we, we wanted to be... It wasn't sexual. It, was, it, it wasn't... It didn't have that kind of thing. It was just a lot of kissing, a lot of kind of close... Um, um, it, he, he was the same age as me. I shouldn't emphasise that, <laughs> really. And, um, he was the same age as me. He was another boy at school. And we became very, very close and we kissed each other and, and we got were very, very close together and we, were, and we were with together all the time until his parents told me that I couldn't hang around with him <gasps> anymore. They, but because, because they noticed they knew, the nature of the bond. They know, noticed something. You know, you know, what I always find fascinating is when you're that age and when it's, well, in those days when it was so unspoken, when you fancied somebody, you had no idea whether they fancied you or how they'd respond if you... Can you remember the fear of when you first kissed him or...? We were on a school trip to London and we stayed in this hotel in Paddington. There was about 11 and we all went down to see things like Hampton Court and all these sort of things like that and... And you were snogging one of the boys. And, and we all had to share the bed, about five, four or five beds in a room. And, and now I had to share this bed with him. And it just happened, you know, it just happened in the night. And it was just, just closeness. And, you become, and it, it really went. But the funny thing was the other boys in the, in the room knew it was happening and didn't care at all. Didn't bother at so do you all. Think didn't bother because... me about it. Didn't bully me about it. Didn't say, I didn't go anything about it. In fact, one of them, the boys, it attracted him to want to, to want to want to do the same thing to me later, about a year later. Oh my God, you had an amazing time. I did. School. school was fantastic. <laughs> once I got over the, once I got past all the bullying stage and everything. Can I just say that, right? So you you describe these boys as curious. So have they yeah. gone on to be straight men? I don't know that. That I have no. You've never looked them up on social media. That's I what did it's once. For. I did once uh, about. Nine, ten years ago, I looked somebody up on social media. I looked somebody. I looked, looked somebody up. I, I went to well. I went to a school reunion out, out of curiosity, and the boy that I had a crush on was a real crush on. Was there at the, at the school reunion, and we kind of. I told him I had a crush on him at school. And what did he and say? He was really threatened and flattered, and it was it was it was about fifteen, sixteen years ago, but. Um, I told him then, I said, oh, I was mad about you when I was at school. I was really crush on you and everything. And he loved it. He was really, really excited. I said, oh, you should have told me. So and he was married. Well. He, 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 he was kind of married and everything 
with kids. And it was kind of funny because all the friends I knew, that all most of them at that, at that school reunion, the, the, the ones I'd, I'd, I'd had any kind of dalliance with weren't there at, at that particular school reunion but there were other people that were, that were in my class and it was quite curious because they'd all got married or had some jobs they all got fat yeah, yeah. really fat they all lost all the hair they'd all well, got kind of fat, that... you know everything so, so it's like marriage and kids kill know, you know, know. Know. but also Mark if you heard that saying one of my favourite sayings is early to ripe early to rot yeah yeah the ones yeah. who were hot and beautiful That's when they're it. young they go to shit absolutely true it was absolutely true whereas the ugly ducklings have to yeah. learn social skills That's and right. have to learn to entertain people and have that to learn how to so, make something of themselves that is so true and, and they become kind of really middle-aged and really kind of like you know like m m married life had kind of ruined them worn but, them down but it was kind of curious yeah, i was it was still kind of nice and you know and his wife his, his wife was there and everything and she was going oh yeah you know um it, you know if only he had looked after himself i just thought he was so it was just like it was beautiful at school. But it's beautiful interesting, at school. so your school, so these boys who you were getting off with this other boy in bed and all the other ones were fine about it. So do you think yeah. they had not yet learnt homophobia? No, I think I think, I think that's true. I, th I think I think they, they, they hadn't. That school I went to in Leeds, um, a mixed school, I didn't have a lot of bullying there. I did a little bit of te teasing more than bullying. I should say, when I went to an all-boys school, when we left Leeds and my parents got divorced, I went back to live in Southport. I went to an all-boys school then. And then it was a little bit more kind of... They were a bit older and it was a bit kind of more sort of like... A bit more than teasing. It was kind of just pestering you, you know, to just generally kind of... It got a bit more kind of heavier. I, I can't say I ever got really beaten up. I didn't get... I got pushed around and stuff. Never got beaten up, but got pushed around a bit. But I gravitated... I found there were other boys... Then I would have been about... 15 or 16, and there were other boys in my class who I recognised. Then you could recognise that there were other definite gay people, gay did you, boys. Did you then. think in your head, other gays, or did you just think they're like me? They're... Yeah, well, yeah, they're, no, no, they're kind of like me. We like David Bowie, we like Mark Boland, we like Roxy Music, we like listening to records. And then I found that, but that coincided with a time when my mother did divorce, she, she, we were living near the school. So I found it was very easy for me to go into school in, in registration in the daytime, go home, come back in the afternoon to registration in the afternoon, go home, and occasionally attend a few classes like art and English that I really liked and everything. And and then we used to go back with with another couple of boys at the school and, and play kind of records at their house and things like smoke that. Fags yeah, so, yeah, promote fags and, and play records and things <laughs> like that. And, and they were other boys that I've still known since. And, and I know one of those one of those boys I still know really really well. I still, I'm still friends with. I still see from time to time now. And was he? Did any of these boys turn out to be gay, or was it just that? Oh, being yeah. other and being. No, they did. The the the, the boy who, um, who 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 I see who I still I'm in touch with now, from, from time to time. In fact, both of them actually. They both turned out to be gay. But but then it was, it, it was then it was kind of weird because we were fifteen and sixteen, but we kind of accepted that we were gay in a way. See, it's interesting. We kind of loved it because it was kind of clandestine. It yeah. was sort of like we had this private little club, and sometimes we could bring other people into that club as well. Uh, other, other people would kind of kind of come into it that we kind of like. 
that we kind of who'd come around to say, oh, I'll come around and play, around and play records with you, and come around to your house after school, and we'd we kind of and we'd play with them and not play with them literally, sexually, I don't, but just just tease them and things like that, and they kind of loved it, you know. So it's interesting, you know, because by the time I was growing up in the eighties, the AIDS crisis had happened, and it tur- it whipped up so much hysteria and homophobia yeah. that that kind of thing, you know, if I identified any other gays at school, I had to steer clear because. Um, they'd drag me down further. Do you yeah. know what's that expression, that a drowning person never holds on to another yeah, drowning yeah, yeah, person yeah, yeah. and quicker together? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It was such a, a horrible thing. And it was such a thing yeah, I bet it must people. have been at that, at, at that time, actually. It must have been a very, very difficult time at that time. Whereas, whereas the time that you're growing up, you're talking around gay... I suppose, I know it's a bit... Early uh, 70s. I'm, I'm talking about... I'm talking about um, uh, very early 70s. It is liberation. End, end of the 60s, 69, and it was still kind of... It was, it was much more kind of... We were much more naive, I think, but naively kind of free about it. Lads kind of... They did kind of tease you. I mean, I know some people probably in some places had terrible... Well, they went through bullying experiences, but but I, I, I think that really happened, as you say, that really kind of got into a more darker time... It did, ..for young yeah. gay people around... Around the the um, early eighties, I think. I mean, it was a dark time for gay people in, the, in a lot, lot of the time in, in the in the eighties. Well, it's also you've got that thing where when you get more visibility um, and more rights, as visibility grows, the backlash can grow because there's something to yeah. have a backlash against. Yeah. Whereas in those days, I suppose there was nothing that was as threatening about it. By the time I'm growing up, people used to play tig in the playground. You'd catch AIDS if they caught you. Yeah, and that's terrible. All these yeah. horrible, you know. Whereas you're you're growing up in that kind of golden period yeah. when gay liberation is happening before yeah. the AIDS crisis. It, it is, yeah. And, 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 I, and when I, I left home, I was 17, I went to art college. I was lucky enough to go to art college. Once you're at art college, nobody cares at really? all. You can be as gay as you like in art <laughs> college. Nobody cares at all. I had, I had my first proper, a proper real boyfriend at, at art college who I was kind of real kind of mean to, actually, because I was kind of I find I was discovering that time where I could kind of get I could go out to clubs and go with different people. Even that was at the end of the 70s in Leeds. And, um, so what was the gay scene like in Leeds? Well, it was really Leeds? kind of like knock on the door. It was a place called Charlie's where you had to go up some stairs and knock on the door. And it actually had one of those square dance floors, the other dance floors with the squares that light oh, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and everything. And it was kind of really rough. It was kind of, you had to go on the door, are you gay? Yeah, yeah, you know, you can come in. And it was still kind, it was still kind of like clandestine. Even then, it was still knock on the door and, you know, and things like that. Um, so when you were in there, were you frightened or were you kind of enjoying? Oh no, like I loved it. It was, all, it was all—it was all really rough Leeds rent boys, and and and, and uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I, I remember what I'm really rough lesbians as well. Oh, really? and, and I remember some girls, one lesbian one night, a girl saying she had she had she had um, she had mild tattooed on one breast and bitter tattooed on the other breast. She said, <laughs> Guess where the lager is. <laughs> 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 so it's like it was. It was just. It was great. All these sort of, just, sort of underworldy gay people in Leeds. <laughs> it, 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 it was fantastic. And then, but then of course there was the art college thing where you'd have the art college scene where it was just all mixed gays and straights. Everybody was. You could be as gay as you wanted. Art college. You know. So in fact, you the be- only people that actually, the only people that kind of, I got bullied by. Not bullied, but actually 
taken the piss by were the tutors, actually. A couple of the macho tutors who were there, who were like real sort of painters and real sort of artists. You know, they were these sort of sculptor painters going, you know, kind of like, oh, you know, they were all kind of, it was jokes about, oh, here come the bum boys and things like that. And, and so they were the only ones, it was the older tutors that were really kind of yeah, homophobic. Isn't it? Yeah, kind of real Yorkshire kind of, t- you know, um, art, you know, kind of, Sort of um, tutors, and they were kind of, they were, they, you know, they were kind of joking. But that, I mean, because you could say that then, you could say, you could say, people say you didn't, you didn't take that offence of it then, because you, 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 I was used to that. I was used to that. You know. Yeah, but I think it's, I think it's still just as offensive. It's just that we had to be pathetically grateful for any level of acceptance that we exactly just didn't, didn't object. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, like well, we, 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 we didn't mind it. At all, you know. It's terrible, isn't it? What we had to put up with is the norm. Well, it it is it is really. It's still you know. I know people readopted the word queer, but it still makes me shudder whenever oh, I, I hear it. it. I hate. I can't. I can't use it to myself. So many. You've got to be queer. And yeah. I can't. I just can't. I'm sorry. It, for my time, it just meant a different thing. It so meant, it was always people. said with a spit and a nasty yeah, sort yeah. of you know. So many people I've spoken to on this podcast have said the same thing, and I feel the yeah. same thing. Puff as well, actually. Yeah, you I know. don't like that. That's even worse because it because it, it, it's because there's something kind of very. It says you're very kind of like um, passively powder puff. You're kind of camp powder puff. You know, you're sort of like something that's kind of a a, a, a kind of a, I don't know. There's something very kind of insulting about it, isn't it? You're just a, the, to be gay. You have to be just a really. A, Fem powder puff. It's emasculating you, trying to disempower you. Emasculating you. That's what it is. So puff, queer was always said with a spit and always said with a sneer. So so I can't adopt those words for myself. I'm glad that people have been able to, but I'm not able to adopt them for myself. I don't like being called queer and I don't like being called a puff. But interestingly, you're talking about that time and it's. I call myself it though. I call my. I I can call. I can. can, I've called myself it in a song, but in an ironic sort of way. That's allowed though. Yeah. we're, yeah, we're allowed no. to do it between yeah, ourselves. Yeah. But um, so it's interesting this this picture that you're painting of his time because it sounds lovely and kind of um, apart from the no, tutors. I'm well roasting his spectacles on. Really. Yeah, because I'm thinking because I've read about some of the performance art that you did yeah. at art college and some of it sounded it was quite angry. It was quite and angry confrontational. confrontational. So yeah. what were you angry about then? <sighs> I've always been a bit angry. I think I was very angry. I don't know. I think my my main anger came from my father. I think it all stemmed from him because my father was a, an alcoholic bully. He was an alcoholic, a quite violent person. He, he marched into school one day. This is when I was at, in Leeds, when I must have been about 14, 13 or 14. And he knew I liked art. And there was, he had an art teacher called Miss Green, who was, she had all kind of afro-y hair and she was all kind of wearing well, kind of crochets and things. <laughs> like an art teacher and round glasses. And he, he marched in to see her one day, demanded to see her. My father says, I demand to know if my son is a homosexual. <gasps> and everything, drunk. And I was called into the head's office and said, you know your father's been here causing trouble and wanting to know if you're homosexual. Are you? <gasps> and I said, well, I just was flabbergasted. You know, I said, of course not. You know, so, so, you know everything. And you do, you that's 13, your main reaction. You I'm at 13, yeah. So my anger, I think, comes from something that stems with... from home life more than school life but also i i think you're bound to be scarred by the times you, you know even though i can be put on my roasting spectacles and said yeah i did have some good times at school but it was an underlying fear i think with all of it all the time well that your dad could well well, then you're, well not my dad but the thing is that you 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 knew that you weren't right like everybody else you felt they weren't right you were like uh, and outside of everything you didn't you weren't clicking into everybody else and you always felt i remember i remember when i kind of 
I, I ran away from school. I was at school. I was at, the games teacher was trying to force me to go in goals or something awful like that. I'm ridiculous. And then I, so I, I ran away from school and they chased after me. The, the, the games teacher, they came looking, I'd hidden in some woods nearby and they came finding me. And they just bullied me and pushed me around so much, the sort of games teachers. And that was the only really kind of real bullying I experienced at school was, was from the PE teachers and games teachers because I wouldn't play games <laughs> as good as the other boys. Interesting. Not from the boys, but from the teachers. I suppose it's a different thing. Thing. If you feel despised by your peer group, that can be a really damaging thing. Whereas if you're, yeah. you feel rejected by adults, you can just rebel against the adults. Yeah. Which is kind of a normal thing for a teenager, isn't it? It's also that thing as well, you, you know, I mean, I, I'm saying that, you know, that though I, I did have some good times going and gravitated, if anyone ever asked you, are you going to know? You've never, you've never, so you've interesting. never so I've got, I've got a girlfriend, you know, and, and so, 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 and so, it was, so all this messing about you do with other boys was just messing about. It was they felt they didn't want to be called queer or whatever. You didn't want to be called queer. It was just kind of, it's just things that happened. You know, you, you'd go on. You'd 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 be you'd be on cross country with another boy and you'd be running and you and everything and you'd stop off and something and then something would happen and they kind of whether it was kind of gravity because they knew I'd, I'd be re reciprocant in something something like that but they were never called gay or never called you never referred to them as being a gay thing or 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 or, a, or, or a, you know it was because you, 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 if anyone else found out you'd be a queer. All right then. So if you had, if you if you went from that kind of playing around with boys and not yeah. talking about it, how did you make the progression from that to the first boyfriend that you mentioned in, in an art college? So it's just that you went to art college and suddenly just just, just I went to art college and, and I really liked him. He he was always always on his own. I, I remember I remember how it happened. It was my first first year at at, at art college and it was um, 1976, the winter of nineteen seventy six. And um, it was snowing, snowing and snowing and snowing in Leeds. Oh, it sounds like one of your songs. Yes, I know. <laughs> and and, and, it, and it, was, it was snowing very hard. And I lived in this basement sort of bedsit, really, that was awful. I was chatting with him in, in, in the studio. There was just the, the, in, the, in, the, in the art college studio. There was just the two of us. And I said, oh, you I said, come back to my house and we can have, listen to music. And, you know, and he said, I said, what are you doing? I said, I'll just go back and listen to music. We can have some wine and things like that. What music did you play uh, while you David Bowie's to? Low, side two. <laughs> Of low, you still remember? Yeah, I do remember. And we shared this bottle of wine to, together, and I just kissed him. And there was, and, it was, and um, I had a candlelight, and I just, it was really quite romantic. And I kissed him, and he stayed the night, and um, then it lasted quite a, a, a while. But then I kind of felt he was getting a bit, a bit, a bit bored by. By, you see what I mean? I felt that he was kind of, yeah. he actually because he moved into my house for all. We moved into another house. He moved into my house. I felt it was kind of drifting apart, slightly drifting apart, drifting away. I started to meet other friends by that by then, other gay friends by then who I'd not really met met before. So I, I kind of started sabotaging it in, in a way by being a bit mean to him, to trying to trying to drive him away. I think, which was, which was what I was trying to do. He even came home to stay with my, my, in my, at my house in, in Southport. He visited home for Christmas. Oh. My mother was a poor, she was like, she knew exactly what, what, what was going on. See, I wanted to ask you about your mum, because I know your dad was Scottish and military, but your mum was Norwegian. Well, 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 well he, he, was, he was Scottish, had whole Scottish ancestry. He wasn't, I think, um, my mum was Norwegian from my, all from my grandfather's side. My grandfather was Norwegian. Oh, so, so the, only so my the only reason I ask about that is because we quite often think of Scandinavians as being much more liberal when it comes to gay people, and I wondered whether your mum's liberal views might have offset your dad's illiberal ones. I don't know. My mother is very liberal now, but that is, it's well sort of. I say liberal. She is liberal because she loves 
she just she just loves being part of all you know gay things. And <laughs> but but she just, but she never ever we I've never ever once in my life with my mother said the G word. Oh really? I've never <gasps> mentioned the word gay oh, to my never mother. Come out to your mom. My mother. Well, we had to come out. It's, it's, not, it's not bloody obvious, you know. <laughs> and even, even I've had a boyfriend there or something like that or something like that. So you still can't say right? So but you... we just never ever say the G word. And when she mentions about things like oh, people get you know boys get married these days, I change the subject instantly. I I still feel that I'm in the power of my mother, eleven years old. And, and have to kind of pretend that I've got girlfriends. When, right. When your dad <laughs> was being very anti-gay with you, a lot of people, their mum is a defender. She steps in and makes the peace and is on their side with a lot of gay boys. Was your mum this kind of figure for you or did she not? No. So did you resent her for that? I did, yeah. I did resent. It's not that she didn't stand up for me. She was she, she was she, she was going through a very bad time herself yeah. with with my father. She was too busy. We were too busy standing up for my mother than, than, than anything else. Me and my sister, but um, she didn't. And, and my mother was very. My mother would use phrases. I was growing up like so and so's a pansy and so and so's a you know so and so's a puff and so and so's a bit you know light of foot and limp of knee, you know <laughs> and, uh, and so and so. But it was weird. You know, it was always that thing when 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 a, when a, a gay comedian comes on the television, or a sort of like a camp comedian comes on the you television. You remember everything that's you're said. Just, you're just sit there with sweat running down your yeah, back. Yeah, you just, know. your face just goes so red. There's a silence that you can just cut with a knife in the room and your sweat runs down your back and you, you go, everyone's going. But isn't it fascinating that, you know, your mum is now really liberal and loves being around the gays, but those comments must have made such an impact on you that you still can't forget yeah, them and you still can't say They did make the a word. huge scarring impact that even at my age, I still can't. I still, isn't that terrible? It's not it's... terrible. I think it's good that you can admit it because it's a fact of life. You know, because actually what you were saying about about your first boyfriend and you were sabotaging it and pushing him away, do you not think some of that is how I've, you've been made I've, to but, feel but about But I've done yourself? that all my life. I've actually, actually done that again and again and again many times over my life. And now they're the other way, or they've sabotaged me and pushed me away. But it's always been some form of sabotage. Um, so it's never it's always they've always been unhealthy relationships? A lot of unhealthy relationships, yeah. Over the years, do you think not parties... so much now? No, no, no. Not now, I, I, but but there, there was uh, for quite a while. So, do you see any connection between putting yourself into those unhealthy relationships and the way you were made to think about yourself as a dirty, disgusting queer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think there must have been some 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 connection there. I mean, it's very weird with my mother, but it, but it's the same. I I can very difficult to say the words to. Family members of mine, well, to anybody really. I can't, I can't, I can't say the words "I love you" to anybody. Oh, right. So here's the thing. I, my mum and dad never used to say it to us, and I never said it to them. I can't say it to anybody. But yeah, but the thing is, you've just said the words now. All you have to do is open your mouth and say them. I started I saying it to my mum and dad about ten years ago when I had a lot of therapy, yeah. and they didn't say anything back. And now they say it back. All you, you just said the words "I love I, you." I know. I always go. Lots of love, or oh, lots of love, lots of love to you. I always soften it with lots of love, or oh, I love you to bits, uh, yeah, or things yeah, like yeah, that, yeah, or, yeah. or lots of love. I can never say, but that, that's not just my fault. I can't say that to anybody. I Is can't that, that because part of you felt unloved by them when you were growing up? Um, yeah, I think I did. Yeah, I think I think I think I think I probably did. I'd say I felt an embarrassment and unwanted and unloved embarrassment. 
And the, and the way you're meant to feel about yourself oh, well, also, stares with you. Also because I wasn't very good at school, because I had kind of learning difficulties at school, did dyslexia and concentrational problems and all those kind of things. So it's like, kind of like um, low on the spectrum, whatever. And, it, and, and, and I, so I did terribly at school, apart from art and English. So then that was always... always get, I always get thrashed by my father, shouted at by my mother, um, all those things as well. So I associate... I got told off a lot when I was and and when, when I was and, and all that kind of violence that was kind of, kind of going on at the same time, so so school would where where is school? I was quite afraid at school inside, even though I was having, to, but I was also quite afraid at home. So it was going from one fearful situation into another fearful situation. Though at school, though school was a relief compared to my um. See, home, that's the long way around, isn't it? With yeah. me, school, I was frightened of. When I went home, yeah. I felt safe. And that's oh, well, was... home, home was more frightening to yeah. me than being at school. So school was the lesser of the two frightenings. I mean, I, I, I got away. I used to go out. I, I was allowed to let go out very early age to go to concerts, 12 or 13. I went on my own into Leeds to concerts. Um, I, I got a job at a stables. So I, I escaped from home as, as from home. As, as as often as I could, I ran away to about th- to, um, two or three times, but but you know, but mostly for attention, really. Okay, we're going to take a quick pause, and when we come back, I'm going to ask you about running away properly when you ran away, moved away to London. Okay. It's time to get back to Mark. But first, a very quick reminder that Attitude Heroes is sponsored by the Great Britain campaign, which welcomes the world to visit, do business, invest and study in the UK. You can check out their website at great.gov.uk. And our co-sponsors are Jaguar. If you'd like more information on their products, then you can visit the website jaguar.co.uk or look out for them in the latest issue of Attitude magazine. Okay, so, Mark, we've talked about growing up and wanting to escape your unhappy home life. Can we talk now about when you did permanently escape and you went away and moved from Art College in Leeds to London? Well, I left art college. I was working in the, in the, um, the bar at Leeds Playhouse. I was working at, at night in a, in a disco called uh, Leeds Warehouse, which was a disco in, in, in Leeds, to, 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 to make money. I was living in a, a bedsit flat in Leeds. And I was going to Charlie's at night, this place, this in 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 in, oh, in the steps, knocking the, the door, locking the door, <laughs> asking, you know, and everything. And I met this boy called Paul. This Paul, Paul, this boy called Paul, was just I was just mesmerised by him. He was absolutely amazing. He looked like kind of young David Essex. He was absolutely fantastic. But he was a rent boy, basically. And he and he, and he said. He said, "I'll take you down to London to meet you all these to meet to meet these people." And I was kind of fascinated because I kind of I was doing these little theatre things at art college and writing these little plays, things like that. I thought it'd be really interesting and fantastic. So he took me down to London um, within um, kind of like um, I think it's the first day that I was I was there. We we were arrested outside Catoni's restaurant and everything for loitering about on the street while while he was making phone calls to various punters that he knew. <laughs> <laughs> that he knew. So they thought you were red boy yeah. as so, well. So, 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 so basically, I kind of was tagging around w- with Paul and everything, meeting all these people that he that um, he that, that he was meeting. He kind of, but it, it, well, the, 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 the story of Paul is a dark and horrible story. Sounds so it was. But I kind of got a job. I, I, I got a job. I got a job in a clip joint. A clip joint is somewhere where you go in and 
you, you pay money to somebody behind a desk and they take you round to what is a strip club around the corner where you're taken downstairs and given this all this fake champagne for the cost of £100 and taken to a cash point where you're robbed. No, I've heard of basically. them. I've totally heard of them. And so that was you it. were one of these so I, was, I, I, I worked in a, in a clip joint where to, to take them, where, where I take the money for the for the for the, for the club ticket, they'd be taken around the corner, some place around the corner, Walker's Court, where they'd be oh, taken yeah, yeah. downstairs and fleeced for and everything. <gasps> so that was the... my first. That was my first job down in London. This is, so this is the seventies, and it sounds like Dick, yeah. Dickens. It was. It, it was. Yeah. It was. It was about seventy. Not about seventy nine. Seventy nine, probably seventy nine, beginning of eighty. And and so you'd been to gay bars in Leeds, but what did you? So you're discovering the underground in London yeah. and, the, and presumably I, the I, gay I met, scene. I mean, through Paul, I just met loads of amazing, strange, this whole underworld and and, and, and everything that, that that was kind of through him. He was just a, quite a nasty piece of work, really. But but he was just a fascinating mesmer. And one of these people that you're just kind of instantly mesmerisingly attracted to. So did you go out with him? Did you have a thing? I, we had, had a, th- a, a thing with him, and then, then then we went back to Leeds and he set my house on fire. And Nicked all my st- nicked all my stuff, and then and then he came round to the playhouse where I was working, and because I, I wouldn't have anything to do with him anyone, threw a, a dustbin through the plate glass window at, at, at the front, so that was the end of my of my relationship with Paul. So when so when did you go from hanging out with rent boys and working in a clip joint to being an internationally successful pop star? About two about, years about, later? about 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 a, a, less than a couple of years after that. Really. <laughs> yeah, but in those days, correct me if I'm wrong, but I always thought the underground was kind of there was a real link with creativity and that you know that art scene in the way that there isn't quite so much now maybe well i kind of uh, i mean not really an artistic underground it was more like a, a real it was really it, it was when piccadilly was known as the dilly yeah and and it was a very different it so was, there were rent boys just work, work. Uh, everywhere yeah it was under the arches of piccadilly circus and was it all was it kind of hot or was it just skanky and grim it was um, skunky and grim. Was it really? And yeah. did, well, so the rent boys just took people back to a room somewhere, some or they'd, be, or they'd be taken back to places. I mean, you, you meet all these kind of characters that were that were there. I mean, they were kind of like very kind of. It was it was a very it, it was I, I kind of found it very fascinating and interesting, but I got I, I just it was a, it was a, it was a world I didn't want to get drawn yeah. too much into. I, I I kind of imagined myself as someone like. Um, uh, uh, it was this had this romantic idea of myself of someone like as a, a John Retchie or a John Genet or something like where who would have these experiences and then go and write about them and write sort of like. Well, Jean Genet was completely yeah. in it, wasn't he? I yeah, know he wrote it, about but it, but it was but... in it. But you know, but it's kind of like you had this kind of romantic idea about it, it, it but it wasn't really. But I, I went back to Leeds and I. And that's when I was kind of still hanging around the, the art college, and I'd already met Dave Ball. He was in the last. He was in the, in the last year of of, of, of when, when I left college, and, and we just. I, I was kind of hanging around with people there, and we just decided. I'd worked with Dave before because I know he had all these keyboards and things. I, when I was at the college, he'd done all these soundtracks to my to my performance shows about going down to London and things like that and meeting these kind of people. And then um, we just decided, I think at the 70, end of 78, something like that, we decided to kind of start a, some sort of a band or something. And that's how it start, Soft Cell first started. But it's interesting that you were very, you know, your artistic inclinations were very underground and not very mainstream. Yeah. And I'm not saying your sound was mainstream with Soft Cell, actually, but you went so big so quickly, didn't you? It was well. It was it was the explosion at that time of 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 that of electronic. Of, I mean, 
But the Human League had things like being boiled, things like that, very kind of early. It was, it was all that very kind of northern electronic scene mm. of Human League, Cabaret Voltaire. Um, and it was the very early days of, of electronic music, very post-punk, really. And Soft Cell were like a post... We were a post-punk band. Mm. We were really just extension of art college, really. Um, we, we, we did these kind of very kind of like... We wrote all these songs about consumerist nightmares and suburbia... And, thing, yeah, and things like that. It's a bit idealistic student yeah. politics. And it was just student, but kind of, it was kind of like the, the it was kind of like the bizarre, darker side of suburbia, and 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 um, you know people having um, Tupperware parties and swingers parties <laughs> and things like that. And, 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 but they were like they were like adverts. They were like strange things. And so that's how Soft Cell first started as like this art college band. We were art college band. Our first gig was 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 in the common room at the art college. We, we we used films and projections, and we were like a real extension of what I'd been doing at art college with performance and experimental theatre, and what Dave had been doing with his his artwork. We had somebody working projections for us because we'd heard the Human League did something very similar. And we started just getting more and more gigs, and it was that early days of of, of that of that music, and our songs became more and more like pop songs, and it just yeah. mutated more and more into a more of a pop sort of feel. As you became a big pop act and Tainted Love blew up everywhere, how did the records... We're here in your current record company's offices. It's all very glam. And, you know, how did your record company at the time respond to um, your gayness? Did they want you to cover it oh, up? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Or? I mean, we, 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 it was just one battle with us. We're working with, with a major record label. We, we were art students that had come out of... I'd come out of five years at, at, at art college. Um, David done three years at art college. We kind of we came from an uh, from an underground in, into a corporate world because of the, because we, we we were signed with for a tiny little deal to Universal because they wanted to have electronic any electronic bands signed at that time. You know they get their own electronic band. We were signed a deal, but we, we had this little song called Tainted Love, which was a song that we discovered was a Northern Soul song. We were Gloria play- Jones yeah, song. and, and we, we we were playing it at our at our at our gigs as an encore number. You know a, a cold electronic band doing. Um, do, doing a soul song, a Northern Soul song, and they loved it, and that's how that kind of catapulted. Well, the whole you know the dull story of Northern of, of the yeah. Tainted Love had had it all sort of catapulted uh, very very quickly in, into a successful record. And but they just didn't know what to do with me at that so time. So what did they say you should do about your gayness? Well, it was like it was like you will be finished if they find out you're gay. You'll, you'll be absolutely finished. Your career will be ruined. Um, my first time with the pops experience changed my life completely. And as many people, I just said people want to either mother me, murder me, fuck me, or you know, or or whatever, you know, or all or, of the above, or, 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 or all of the above. And especially the people that wanted to murder you, you know, you, it, it, all the kind of. As I can say with that early '80s thing, it, it kind of was homophobia. Really, really, I really experienced the worst homophobia I'd ever experienced at that time. It was a fearful time. I was still living in Leeds in a little house um, that I, I lived in. I get people knocking on my door. I got fans knocking on my door. I got the press knocking on my door. I got people knocking on my door, threatening in Leeds to bash me all the time because to you've kill been me. so visibly yeah, gay yeah, in your and top the, of the pops. And... You know, yeah, because I've been so so. so Uber gay in my you know in in in, in my um, top of the pops appearance. I decided just to kind of play it for for you know to go all the way on top of the pops. Was that slightly a reaction to your record company? It was a reaction to, to really annoy them, yeah, and to really kind of just be subversive and to really kind of create as much mischief. We, we, there was us and them, so we decided to go on top of the pops and make this kind of art 
it was we were still art students in our mind making this art, artistic statement so i wore black bangles i kind of saw this picture by this this new york socialite from the 30s called nancy cunard and there's a photograph <laughs> of her with all these bangles all the way down her arm so i decided that was a great so i wore all these kind of brangles and bracelets down my arm all this black studs and black sort of things but it was quite like, snm wasn't yeah, and it i decided to wear black eyeliner because i'd seen this i'd seen I'd, i loved juliet greco these sort of French singer Juliette Greco. She had this black eye makeup on. And I'd seen this film called The Rebel with Tony Hancock, where he goes to stay with all these um, French existentialists who all wear black and they wear black eye makeup like this. I thought it was a great look. So I wore black and black eye makeup. And, and it was a mixture of all those mishmash of all those styles. The record company were appalled and just thought, oh my God, you just can't go on like that. You can't do that. This will be the end of your career. But I did. And because it was so extreme, it created this extreme thing with fans that just thought it was the best thing ever, a whole new sort of look that they hadn't seen before. It was out there and they related to it to it in their kind of alone in, in their bedrooms. And there are other people who just thought, we just want to murder these people. Well, when you, when you encountered that homophobia, people wanting to murder you, having grown up with, with some of this levelled at you from your dad and being yeah. fearful, did it play into old wounds? Did yeah, it, I, I, was ter- I, was, I, was, I was terrified, actually, to be quite honest. The first thing of six to soft sell. And, um, and, my, and my PR people, who was a, a, a guy called Colin Bell, and, and, uh, and, a, and, a, and, a, and Mariella Frostrup, I don't know if you know her from TV. Yeah, I love her. Yeah, she, she, she was my first PR people. And I liked Mariella a lot, but they, they said, you've got to invent girlfriends. We've got to have girlfriends for you. So they kept trying to invent all have these girlfriends. I said, you must be seen out. Go and, go, 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 and go out for... So, and meet Susie Sue because she wants to meet you and we can pretend that you're going out together. So did you ever play me... along with that? Oh, no. Well, I felt I, I felt I kind of... I kind of in a mischievously kind of did because I kind of felt... I just felt like absolutely completely out of my depth with the whole thing. So I didn't go out... Like, I'm, a boy I'm, from I'm, Southport. I did say, I just you... say I'm, I'm with a girlfriend or things like that. But I, I, I kind of felt it was kind of funny to be sort of, you know, that they would invent these kind of... And then I kind of met this kind of drug dealer from New York called Cindy Ecstasy. <laughs> <laughs> who, 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 used, who used to? Who was just a great friend, really? And and then they, oh, but they saw that 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 became like an, an invented an invented girlfriend, and it was just it was just the times that it was. You know, I had people, I had I, had, I remember going to people on on TV. Taking the taking the piss that made Mickey out of me on TV. I remember like um, I remember on jukebox jury that they re bought it back at the early 80s. And they had an, an artist on who remained nameless, got up and did this horrible homophobic impression of me and everything. And then you got Rowan Atkinson as well on, on Not the Nine O'Clock News doing some kind of weird impressions of me. You got Russ Abbott at one point doing gay impressions of me. I just thought it was terrifying and, yeah. and kind of nastiness. But interestingly, when you're encountering all this homophobia and it's hurting, you actually, your work becomes more explicitly gay and more challenging and you... It's it's it was I just because I just I, I was kind of battling against the world in in a way, and I think it's that unconscious thing that you want to do. They've got the record company on one side going, "You've got to be less gay, you've got to be less gay, you've got to be less gay." But me, kind of like, without wanting to say, wanting to show a kind of a, a, a strong um, sexual identity without actually saying it, if you see what I mean. Can I ask you about the Sex Dwarf video, which is so notorious, this sexually explicit video that you made that was banned and is still yeah, banned yeah, now. Yeah, it was yeah, so... Yeah. So how did you get the money to do that from the record company if they well, were so against it and you were going, what was in it? They didn't see it. They didn't know it was being recorded. When, <laughs> um, they, um, they, um, 
they, 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 at the time, I think I think people were starting to make video albums at the time. It was something that was quite yeah, new. Yeah, yeah. We'd done a couple of we we when we did videos for Bedsitter and um, those early at Sailor of Goodbye. It was still the really early days of, of of video. People making videos to go with their songs. The record company said, "How would you like to make a video for the whole of Nonstop Erotic Cabaret?" And everything, so we thought this is great. So, so we 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 made a, a video, little video for each song on Nonstop Erotic Cabaret. They kind of left us to it, really, because we were working with, with Tim Pope, who's a good director. He'd, we'd already had successful videos with him; that there were great videos, and we just decided. To, we just it was just a moment of madness. We just so what decided, was in it though? Well, there was well we had we, there was kind of. <laughs> We, we kind of went around Soho and we got lots of kind of working girls from Soho. We got girls who were like sort of transsexuals, uh, working girls, um, prostitutes, basically. And um, uh, um, we got we, we, we had dwarves with chainsaws. We had um, uh, drag queens. We had, we had all kinds of these all to make in, in, in this video. I what mean, were they all doing, having sex? Everyone was just running around sort of in bondage outfits and then, and then sort of with chainsaws, like, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> I'm running around virtually naked in like a black jock strap or something. And at one point, the director decided to throw buckets of blood and maggots all over everybody, and so, without telling everyone. So there's maggots and blood running everywhere, and there are people running around with chain dwarves with chainsaws, people being strapped to tables, and, and like, um, and sort of. It was just a kind of a. It was out there. It was a really out there video. But again, it was really angry. It sounds quite. Angry. We got raided by the police for that, and and we got into a lot of a lot of trouble. It caused us a lot of of, of grief that video because we still thought in our heads we were art students making a statement and everything. It was kind of angry. Yeah, it was kind of angry. Just really, just kind of just. It was real punk thing that we were doing, kind of like against the corporate corporate record company. And everything. Who are really just trying to do their best for us, really? Um, you know what? Another thing, actually, when you talk about um, being sexually out there and challenging, um, you were you were quite often slut shamed. You know, you talk about people doing impressions of you for being gay. Yeah. People also spread some horrible rumours about you, made up stories they to did, bring yeah. you down. Which we won't talk about because we know that they are extremely homophobic. It's yes, caused me exactly. a lot of upset that has over the years. Yeah, no, a I lot know. of anger. A lot of a lot of anger comes from comes from that as well because, you know, we all know what we're talking about, but it, it's kind of born from the worst kind yes. of homophobia, yeah. and that was the most. That was that was an example of the homophobia that I was having to go through at that time from in the media and also you know people who are now writing, still writing in the media. Now in papers, we're writing just terribly homophobic. Just making things, things up me. about what you do sexually. Making things up about me yeah. and always passive things as well. Always things you were always like some passive person, you know, who would be like a, a, some a, puffy a thing again. Yeah, passive, massive. They don't want to see you as a kind of a strong gay person. They want to see you as just a passive, uh, weak, you know, down on your knees person. Yeah, I don't yeah, think that's yeah. that's that, that's what you are just a receptacle basically, of of of, of uh, uh, and and that's and that's how that's how it was kind of the most worst kind of homophobia I feel and even now when I still bristle you know when when I, I you know somebody brought that up a while, a while ago in something I, I will walk out of an interview walk yeah, out yeah. Of, of, a, of a radio thing walk out anyway if anyone ever brings that up because I'm talking to you about it now. Well, this is gay to gay. We know what we're talking and about. And can I just say, but, I, never, you know, I never would never bring up the details. I was talking about slut shaming yeah, in yeah. general. But it is slut shaming, yeah. It, 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 it is um, uh, slut shaming, and, and 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 I think it's like I was. I'd never presented a safe kind of gay image. I think I always 
presented, I'd like to think I presented a kind of a sexuality. Yeah. And that's, and unless, and, and it's certain, I, whether that's changed now, I'm not so sure, but unless you're kind of neutered and clownish and sort of, uh, and, and, and you're still kind of acceptable because 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 the straight the, the straight community whatever community straight, straight a lot of people heterosexual the straight community still don't like to think of what we term as the gay act yes. the act the anal sex. the anal yeah. sex act and that is the image that comes into their mind. A lot of gay people don't have don't, not everybody has anal sex. People do, people yeah. don't. But but it's it, it's the but it's the it's the image that comes into people's it's the heterosexual it's the it's the image that, that heterosexuals find it harder to get over. Well, can I say something, else? darling? Because there's there's on one hand you've got the acceptable face of gayness, which is the gay clown, like yeah. you say, playing around the people on Britain's Got Talent and the camp fun a bit yeah. of fun gay. Which is a, which is actually quite oh. homophobic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really. But the but the other thing is you've got the heteronormative now that we can get married and integrate into society, yeah. you've got the heteronormative gays getting married and everything being yeah. well-behaved gays. You're well-behaved. And then, and then what you get is slut-shaming against somebody like George Michael, who was very open yeah. about his non-conventional yeah, sexuality, yeah. Yeah. non-conformist sexuality. Yeah. And because you'd been associated with that in the past, you know, people slut-shaming you for that. Yeah. And you do get gay-on-gay slut-shaming now, yeah. which I find really upsetting. Yeah. When people think, oh, you're giving us a bad name with the straights, you know, we should all be respectable now. But you know what, there's the thing about that as well, which also gives the, 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 the people, there's still, still a very down attitude within... I see, I don't really think there is much of a gay community anymore. I think it's so fractured. It's so fractured into... I'm not one who, a, a person who supports this so many letters and so many... I can't even remember them. I, when I remember it being... I mean, it was all everybody together. We were all... A bit on the outs, you know, on the peripheries of, of things, but we, we weren't all... We didn't have to have our own platform that we had to stand on it was all everybody everybody together everything i don't what i don't like is there's still a very down thing in the whatever you call the gay community on feminine gay people and i think that's very wrong there's still a downer on that you know if people are very feminine or they're very camp that's still a kind of oh don't they, they give us a bad name yeah you know or they're slutty yeah and i think that's really really wrong it was really interesting when I was watching a BBC thing recently called um, Against the Law. Did you see yes, that? Yes, it was fantastic. And the guy at the end, he talked to the Wolfenden r r Report, and he said at the end, he said, yeah, there were three types of gay people. There's the kind of mentally ill gay people who are like effeminate and think they're kind of w women and talk like women and things like that, and they're just mentally ill. And then there's, like, um, the kind of... Uh, uh, pederasts and paedophiles, yeah. and then there's the rest of everybody who's just normal gay people. There is and such everything. a thing, and, and, yeah. and so, so I think there was still so, and I think well, that was then, that was in front of the Wolfenden report. But even now, still now, there is still that down downness by um, by a lot of gay people on what you would call the. Um, the very camp gay man. The femme ones, the passive ones, yeah. there's a real bottom shaming that goes on as well yeah. as slut shaming. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like you said, the stories that were thrown around about you were always about the being part of the passive act. Yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah, is yeah, demonised, yeah, yeah. you know, and yeah. it's terrible the way yeah. that happens. It's terrible. But I don't define my sexuality either. I do find my sexuality as one or the other. I find, I find I'm very kind of, I can be camp. I can be kind of everything, but I, I can be everything else as well. I can be other things as well. I'm very kind of fluid, I think, with my with, with the way I, I am sexually and whether and where I behave sexually in different ways. I, I like to be camp sometimes, yeah. and sometimes I'm not camp. Sometimes I can be the opposite of camp. But do you, you know, think... I, I don't feel I'm, I'm not. I'm never trying to put myself in, into a kind of a a, a, a category. 
I've tried to have always have, have avoided that, or whether it's a, a natural thing or whatever. But I do think that's a really bad thing when, when, when I think the people who are very, very, very camp, very feminine gay man is almost the bravest gay man of all. I agree. I, I, I think agree. so. Because they're the ones that are On really the front line. On the front line. You and cannot put, pretend. You can't pass. And it's straight. always been like that, I think. And it's always been looked down on, I, I think. But also, you know, going back to the slut-shaming thing, when you think about... The fact is that now we're allowed to get married and fully integrate into society. That's brilliant. But it has created this division between the good gays, the well-behaved gays, and the badly behaved gays. Yeah, yeah. The ones yeah. who are sexually non... You know, the establishment non gays, the yes. ones that are, You know, and everything, and, and, and the badly behaved ones, And yeah. sometimes that doesn't just come from um, mainstream straight society yeah. projecting it onto us. You also can get gay-on-gay -gay shaming. Yeah, yeah. You know, people saying you're giving us a bad name, you know, oh, all yeah. those... Kind of, I just wondered how yeah. you felt about that. I, I do feel that, that that happens a lot. I do, I do feel that still happens a lot, and people there, there is that kind of very fracturedness. And maybe it's always been there. But I think it's always, you, you know, someone said someone someone says it's the someone said to me. I, I, was, I was questioning why there was a why we have a gay pride anymore. Someone said why is a gay pride? Someone put it to me quite clearly why there's, why there's a gay pride. It's the only time of the year where all those fractions all mixed together in one big sort of mixed. Big melting pot of different kind of different kind of gay people marching alongside each other in in a big park together, a party, and you see and you can see all those different kinds of people together, and, and that's the and, and that it's it's that bring one time a year that it brings all those different fractions mm. together. So so I could see the point of that, but I, I do think there is there's always been that that, that gay that, that gay kind of snob I, I, sn sn snobbery. Yeah, but the interesting thing is in in the old days we were you know I talk about good gays and bad gays. In the old days we were all bad gays. Yeah, all bad gays. You yeah, know, we yeah. were just all lumped in together. Yeah. Whereas now you can be well behaved gays or badly behaved gays, and it has. If you're married, a you're well behaved. You're, if you're if you're yeah. if you get married, you're you're well behaved gay and everything. You're, you're well behaved. You're fitting in, in, in into into society. It, it, it's all it's all the way so they can sort of fit you in, in into establishment of society and and file you away basically. So in that case, right, so having been angry in the past, having been really sexually out there, and now you've got this new album with a mainstream record company which is lovely and happy and warm and joyful, um, where do you feel you fit in now? You've always had one foot in the mainstream, yeah. one foot in the underground. You've been... Do you know what I mean? How do you feel you fit into the mainstream and the underground in the gay world and in the artistic world? You know, I've never really kind of... I'm sure I've always thought I've been, been been my own island in in a way in that way in in, in some ways I've never I never kind of I kind of move you know I mean I, I I feel this is a period of my life I'm going through I'm going through a period of my life where I'm signed to a major record label certain things are, are expected expected of me then that that will move out of that then other things will, will happen and I'll move into a, maybe a a, a, a non-mainstream world and things so I, I i don't know i kind of i do kind of bridge those kind of have both foot in those in those kind of things i, I feel over the years i've kind of brought it together a, a lot more and i become i said i said what, what, what at one time you can become you can be, you can be anti-establishment and punk and all those things and and then eventually every everybody becomes mainstreamed in the end i think you do become you do become because the people get used to you. Just, 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 you, just, just, so just by being around for so long, they get used to you, and uh, and they're used to the fact that you do sometimes odd things and sometimes commercial things. And I don't think there is so much thing anymore as commercial or non-commercial pop or non-pop. You, you look at you know all kind of interesting 
pop, is it pop? You know, unless you're talking about X Factor pop or things like that, that kind of manufactured sort of pop. A lot, a lot of pop, it kind of fits into different categories. You look at interesting artists like Perfume Genius, for example. Love Perfume and, Genius. And, and it's kind of like, it, it, is that pop or is it, is it is it underground? It's kind of both. But it kind it of fits into both, you know. Isn't it fascinating that you made this text war video all those years ago, and you know it was it got you into all that trouble. Here we are now, thirty however many years later, in the offices of your major record company, celebrating the release of a mainstream major album, yeah. talking about the sex world. Yeah, isn't it, isn't it? But, but isn't it? Life is full of ironies. It is. I know. <laughs> you know it is. It is. But, well, for for all yeah. of that, and for being <laughs> your own island, as you say, thank you, yeah. Mark Almond, thank you very much. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank, thank you very much. Mark Harmon there, and his new album, Shadows and Reflections, is out now on BMG. Time for a couple of quick thank yous. These podcasts are sponsored by the Great Britain campaign, which welcomes the world to visit, do business, invest and study in the UK. Check out their website at great.gov.uk. And our co-sponsors are Jaguar. If you'd like more information on their products, then you can visit the website jaguar.co.uk or look out for them in the latest issue of Attitude magazine. I'll be back in a couple of weeks to let you know who my next special guest will be. For now, thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time on Attitude Heroes. Attitude Heroes.